some of these old hymns, they're, they're so full of meaning. And I, I, I get stuck halfway through and I, because I get stuck on one verse sometimes. And by the time I've finished with it, I don't know where anyone is anymore. And I had that just now on verse four. So it was near the end. We, we nearly finished it anyway. The dearest idol I have known, we all know what idols are, don't we? We've got millions of idols, each one of us. False gods, things that we put above God, we value and love more than we love God. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne. I thought thought that's an interesting one. And worship only thee. So I always think, this is me thinking, well, you know, and getting lost with it all. What's what's the hymn writer on about there? Tearing that idol from the throne of God. Us doing that. How do we do that? Until it occurred to me that by faith, Christians that is, by faith, Jesus reigns in our hearts. Ephesians chapter 1, I think that is. Can't remember chapter and verse. So... That makes sense when you understand it that way. Or it does for me anyway. There's only room for Jesus in your heart. Not for all the other things. All the other rubbish that we cherish so much. They certainly knew what they were talking about. Those old hymn writers, that's for sure. Okay. Open your Bibles to John 17. We're continuing with the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. And today we're looking at sanctification through the truth. I want to make a point now, I keep emphasising it as we, we look at the high priestly prayer and uh, it's a legitimate point I'm making, I, I trust. You know, initially this prayer was for, Jesus prayed for himself, then he prayed for his apostles, those who were with him at the time, the 11 remaining apostles, but also he prayed for those who would those who would um, become Christians, people like you and me, all that the Father has given him. So you you need to understand that this is an ongoing prayer. And what we read in these words, you can rightly think that Jesus still prays these things. Uh, Jesus prayed that he would be glorified with the glory that he had with his Father before the world was. He is now glorified in heaven, exalted high. But also he prayed that the apostles would be um, kept from the evil and the evil one. Satan, the evil that's in this world, the evil that was in their hearts. By extension, that prayer is for us as well, equally, all who belong to Jesus. And we need to, Jesus, praying that his Father would keep each one of us from the evil and the evil one. 
And Jesus prayed for unity for his apostles. A unity that is uh, agreeable with scripture, not just any old unity. You know, we're not a church that's going to have fellowship with churches or professing Christians who would, for example, deny the Trinity or deny the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no unity there. There's no fellowship. There's no communion with such people. It has to be agreeable with the scriptures. But as Jesus prayed for those things amongst his apostles, that prayer is still valid for us now. And we covet that prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we shall consider Jesus praying that his father would sanctify his apostles through the truth and again by extension that he would sanctify all who belong to him, you and me who belong to Jesus. He prays that we would be sanctified through the truth. Let's have a look at verses 17 through to 19 in John chapter 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. In those in those few verses, there's a lot of sanctified, isn't there? And if you don't know what it means to be sanctified, then you're not going to understand those few verses. To sanctify is to make holy unto God, or to set apart unto God for his use. That's what it means. In the Old Testament, the Jewish high priest, he had a golden plate attached to his headdress, and... Uh, inscribed on that golden plate on his head were the words holiness to the Lord. That was a constant reminder that the high priest was set apart for holy duties. It's not just people who can be sanctified or made holy. Anything can. The fourth commandment is what? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. So even a day of the week can be holy, sanctified and set apart for holy use. A day of the week. The apostles were to be sanctified by God, the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus referred to as the Spirit of Truth. In uh, chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. In those verses, Jesus said to his apostles, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. I just want to remind you here what we're looking at in John chapter 17. Jesus praying that his apostles, and indeed all Christians, would be sanctified through the truth. And what I'm telling you now that the one who does the sanctifying is the Holy Spirit, who Jesus referred to as the Spirit of Truth. So, 
again, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That surely applies to us. Even if we don't know much else, we know as Christians that we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The world doesn't believe it. They, unless they see it, they don't believe it. That's what they say. Of course, that's nonsense and that's just excuses. The world believes that there's air, oxygen, but they can't see that. It's convenient for them to say, unless I see God, I will not believe. Um, the work of sanctification by the spirit of truth in dwelling the apostles would involve teaching them. You see, the Holy Spirit doesn't just indwell his people. He's busy doing things inside the apostles of old and inside uh, each one of us now who belong to Jesus. So it, it involves teaching them. As Jesus said in chapter 14 and verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The spirit of truth would keep the focus of the apostles on who? I'm asking you this one now. The spirit of truth who indwells his people and who teaches them. What would he teach that he will bring to your remembrance Whatever I have said unto you. That's what Jesus says in chapter 14 and verse 26. The spirit of truth would keep the focus of the apostles on Jesus. Not on himself, but on Jesus. That is the great work of the Holy Spirit. To focus us upon the one who loved us and who gave himself for us on Calvary's cross. As Jesus said in chapter 15, verse 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. You know that you've got the Spirit when you think of Jesus, and you love Jesus, and you know that he loves you. That's what a Spirit-filled Christian is. Someone who knows that he belongs to Jesus. And according to chapter 16 and verse 13, the spirit of truth would guide them into all truth. We've got to put all this stuff together because clearly the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, is busy in those whom the Father has given to the Son. You see the work of all three persons of the Holy Trinity here. Um, we're not to separate them, divide them up, but all three persons are involved in the salvation of sinners. The multifaceted work of sanctification by the Spirit of Truth in the Apostles didn't happen overnight, that work of the Holy Spirit. It was an ongoing and progressive work that would continue throughout their lives 
until they died and they went to be with Jesus. And as can be seen in verse 17, it was achieved through the word of God, the scriptures, which is truth. Let's have a look at John 17, 17 again. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Thy word is the scriptures, the Bible. If you're a Christian, then you too have been set apart for holy use. And to you, the Apostle Peter has said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 through to verse 16, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, that's God who has called you, is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. That's not a little request from God to be holy. God says, he commands you, be holy, for I am holy. How is that going to happen? How are you going to be holy in all your conversation, in all your conduct, dear Christian? Just like the apostles of old, you also have the spirit of truth indwelling you. And as you read and as you study the word of God, the truth, the scriptures, as you read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will teach you and bring you bring you to remembrance the word of God. I think people misunderstand that when they read that the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance uh, the things that I have told you. They take that to mean that they don't have to look at the Bible, that somehow or other the word of God will just, boom, it will just magically come to mind. I'm not saying God can't do those things. God can do anything. But the idea is you read the scriptures and like the psalmist in Psalm 1, uh, he speaks about the man who is blessed and who meditates upon the word of God day and night. That is a man who is blessed and he's like a tree that is planted by rivers of water bringing forth its fruit in season. But you need to be someone who is reading the word of God and the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit who indwells you. He is, he, he applies that truth to your heart, to your mind, to your born again life. He will testify of your Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you and bring your remembrance to the word of God. He will guide you to all truth. And as the, as the indwelling spirit does those things, you will inevitably increase in knowledge of Jesus, who is the truth. Now we're really looking at what it means to be sanctified, to be made holy. Because it can be a very abstract thing, can't it? Being holy. And you may even think of being holy as someone walking around with a halo above their head. There's a lot more to it than that though. Being holy is being conformed to Jesus. 
This is the work of the Holy Spirit, shaping, moulding, conforming people like you and me, who by sinful nature are hell-deserving sinners, conforming us to the image of Christ, who is himself the image of the invisible God. And you will be transformed, rather, by the renewing of your mind as the Holy Spirit works in you. When the Spirit of truth applies the Word of God to your heart, your mind and your life, you will be better equipped to live a sanctified life, a separated life, in a wicked and perverse generation. Someone who is in the world but not of the world and your whole mindset will be so different to everyone else's. Is that you? It ought to be, Christian. It really ought to be. You think differently. You have a a biblical worldview, not a secular worldview. You see, see things very differently. You have different priorities, different desires. With the Holy Spirit working in you, sanctifying you, making you holy. Let's have a look at verse 18 here. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Let's read that again. How many sendings are going on here in verse 18? As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Two sendings going on in that verse. First of all, God sent his son into the world. Why? To save sinners. That's the easiest answer. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God sent him into the world to save sinners. And then the son sent his apostles to establish the early church. That was the work of the apostles. He sent them forward with all his authority to establish the early church, to formulate the um, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine that we study here, um, particularly on Wednesdays, but I don't leave it just till Wednesdays when we come here on Sundays. Hopefully you get a bit more than a few blessed thoughts from me. And we study the doctrine of the apostles and we study the word of God. And of course, much, well, the the New Testament is essentially the doctrine of the apostles. As a result of those two sendings, the Apostle Paul said to the Christians at Ephesus, and again to all of you who belong to Jesus, Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. A saint is a sanctified one. A holy one. That's what a saint means. A holy one. And the Apostle Paul was saying that you are now saints. And members of the household of God. Again, not of this world. You're in the world, but you're actually in the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. You see it all coming together in that verse. 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, and the apostles, and indeed the prophets, that the, who are referred to as a foundation there. And we are in the household of God, as saints, sanctified ones, holy ones. Not only has the Lord Jesus Christ sent his apostles, if you are a Christian, then Jesus has sent you. Whether it be into the community, workplace, school, college, wherever it is, to show forth his praises, the praises of the one who has called you out of the kingdom of darkness into the marvellous light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul described himself and his assistants as ambassadors for Christ. Beyond that, surely even the least of Christians ought to be representatives of Jesus. I'm using a, a, a smaller word here. Not ambassadors, but representatives. Either way, though, if you belong to Jesus, you really, really ought to be a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, wherever he may send you. And I'm not necessarily talking about the mission field. Again, in within the local community, you are um, a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, set apart for holy use, sanctified to God. Let's have a look at verse 19. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Not only were there two sendings going on in the previous verse, now we've got two sanctifications going on. Jesus sanctifying himself, and that that they, that's the apostles, might be sanctified through the truth. Well, as I've said, the usual meaning of, I didn't say usual, but it, the usual meaning of sanctification is to be made holy. Does Jesus really need to make himself holy? Of course not. He is the sinless Son of God. He is the Holy One. Holy, harmless, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That's Jesus. So there's no need of that work of the Holy Spirit within Jesus to teach him, to lead him to all truth, and, and so on. But even so, we read there in verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself. Let's work backwards on this one. I'm going to deal with the sanctification of the apostles First of all, the last bit bit of verse 19. Working backwards with this verse, the sanctification or setting apart of the apostles through the truth for the purpose of establishing the early church would commence in earnest on the day of Pentecost. On that day, the spirit of truth would descend upon them and what would happen to the apostle Peter Up until Pentecost, what would he have been best remembered for? Denying the Lord Jesus Christ? I think that would have been his claim to fame or infamy. Denying Jesus. But things changed, didn't they, on the day of Pentecost. 
when the Holy Spirit descended upon them and the Apostle Peter, he preached that sermon about Jesus. And uh, he, through that sermon, 3,000 Jews were brought to repentance and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how things changed on that day. From then on, the apostles would advance the gospel of Christ far and wide and the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. So that was the sanctifying of the apostles for that work that Jesus had commissioned them to do. And we see that starting in earnest on the day of Pentecost. As can be seen in verse 19, for all of that to happen, Jesus would first sanctify himself. In other words, he would set himself apart because that sanctification is being set apart. He would set himself apart and lay down his life on the cross as the substitute sin bearer. Then rise victorious over sin, over Satan, over death. And it doesn't end there. The whole sanctification bit as it applies to Jesus. After the cross, laying down his life at the cross and rising victorious over sin, Satan and death, he would be glorified. The first part of that high priestly prayer, we see that being answered when Jesus, having been obedient unto God, even unto death of the cross, Wherefore God have also highly exalted him. And Jesus is highly exalted, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. With the glory that he had with him before the world was. And then he, Jesus, he would send the spirit of truth. But you see that all of that had to happen first. The death, the resurrection, the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ, whereupon he sent the spirit of truth. Finally, if nothing else, I hope you understand that sanctification is an ongoing and progressive work that took place in the apostles, but also, obviously, it's not just a history lesson, all of this. It's a work that it happening in each one of you Christians and will continue until the day you die. It is a work whereby the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, makes you holy through the Word of God, which is the truth. It doesn't just contain truth, it is the truth. As you eat and drink and digest the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is working in you, making you more like Jesus. Having said all of that, if you've been given to Jesus by God, then guess what? You are already holy. Holy from the time you first believed. I hope you can get this one. You're being made holy. And as I say, that is an ongoing and progressive work of the Holy Spirit. But for that to happen... You needed to be holy in the first place. Because the Holy Spirit is not working in everybody in this place. 
He is working and sanct- working in and sanctifying only those who have been made holy by Jesus at the cross. Such people, you, when you first believe, you were holy and without blame before God in love. Holy and without blame from the moment you first believed. And that is because Jesus made you holy. He sanctified you with his own precious blood. I jotted it down in the first hymn. I hadn't noticed it before. Let me just read the third verse this of the first hymn we sung this morning. I am trusting thee, Lord Jesus. And the third verse, it says, I am trusting thee for cleansing in the crimson flood, trusting thee to make me holy by thy blood. That's perfect. That is so scriptural. The letter to the Hebrew Christians, a a big overview of that letter to the Hebrew Christians, and I read the whole of chapter 13 to you earlier. It presents to us the superiority of um, the new covenant of which Jesus is mediator, the superiority of that over the old covenant that God had with the ancient Israelites and in in all aspects the new covenant is so much better infinitely better the priesthood the high priesthood in the old testament the old covenant the priesthood and the high priest were taken from a tribe the tribe of levi in the new covenant who's the high priest it's jesus and if you are a christian you are a priest of the most high god very different isn't it um, we don't have a tabernacle that's made or a temple made with hands. Well, the way, depending on how you look at it, ultimately Jesus is your temple. <clears throat> and you worship God as someone who is in Christ. So very, very different. But also the letter to the Hebrews, it shows the contrast between the blood of the sacrifices, animal sacrifices in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the blood of the New Testament, the blood of Jesus. Clearly the blood of Jesus, who sacrificed himself at the cross, is infinitely superior to the blood of animals. But let me just read to you chapter 13, verses 10 through to 13 again. I read it earlier, but I'll read it again. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. This is speaking about the old covenant here. The, the, the animals that were sacrificed, the blood was taken into the most holy place. Some of the choice cuts of the animal were burnt on the Uh, the altar and the rest of the carcass was disposed of outside the camp of Israel okay that's what used to happen but then the writer goes on to say wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify 
the people with his own blood suffered without the gate. Jesus, when he was lifted up to die on the cross, outside the gate, outside the camp of Israel, and it speaks of his blood sanctifying the people, those who trust in him. As a result of the Lord Jesus Christ shedding his blood and laying down his life, even the dying thief on the cross, you remember that dying thief, the one who turned to Jesus in his dying moments, and what did he say? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? This day, or verily, verily, I say unto you, this day you will be with me in paradise. In other words, that, that thief on the cross repented. He literally turned to Jesus in faith by virtue of the fact he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's a clear confession of faith in Jesus. And he had that promise of paradise, of being with Jesus in glory. That man was sanctified by the blood of Jesus. He didn't live long after that. So there wasn't an ongoing and progressive work of sanctification over weeks, months and years. But he was sanctified. He was holy and without blame before God in love. Can you see that? Dear Christian, you have been sanctified, you have been made holy by the precious blood of Jesus. In fact, Jesus is your sanctification, as it is written in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. But of him, that's of God, are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's quite a mouthful, that verse. It's one that's worth remembering because it really does bring to us how Jesus is your everything. He really is your everything. Let me just read it to you again. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. Jesus is your wisdom. Don't go praying to God for the wisdom of Solomon. That's no good to you. You want the wisdom of the God of Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your wisdom and righteousness. You stand before God, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Not in your own filthy old rags of self-righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus. And sanctification, made holy by his blood. And you're in him, the Holy One who is himself, the the sinless Son of God. That is your standing before God in Christ. And he is your redemption. The holy and sin-hating God is now your Father. You are a citizen of a holy nation. You are set apart unto God for his use as a priest, as I've already said. You are a priest of the Most High God, a holy priest. All of those things are a present reality. They're now. Therefore, one last question before I close. Do you consider yourself a sinner saved by grace? 
Or do you consider yourself to be a saint? Where a saint means sanctified one or holy one. What do you consider yourself to be? A sinner saved by grace or a saint? Though you should never forget that you are a sinner who has been delivered from the lake of fire and from everlasting destruction and you have been saved by the grace of God. Never forget those things. But also you should also think of yourself as a saint. When the Apostle Paul wrote letters to the various churches, he did not address them to sinners saved by grace. Have a look at the Apostle of Paul letters. Have a look at the, the, the greetings, the salutations at the beginning. You don't see him writing to the sinners saved by grace. But what he did sometimes do was address them to the saints. He addressed his letters to the saints. Maybe if we think of ourselves as saints, then we might act more like sanctified children of God rather than the sinners that we really that we are. May it be the earnest desire and prayer of all of you who have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus and who are day by day being sanctified by the spirit of truth through the word of God to live born again lives for the glory of God in a world in which you no longer belong. In Jesus' name, amen.